Hey guys, welcome back to Handling It. I'm your host, Catherine, and as you know, I thought I had my life all figured out, and then I realized I actually didn't. But I'm handling it. And one of the best ways I've learned how to do that is to talk with others about how they're handling their own lives. Thank you for tuning in this week, everybody. It is so hard to believe that the holiday season is here. Not sure what everybody has going on over the next month, but as for me, my next few weeks are busy with get-togethers, I have my brother coming over to London for a visit, and I have a Christmas trip coming up to Austria and Slovakia, which is really exciting. And while the holidays are such a beautiful time, they can also be really hectic, and for some, more of an isolating time. So as we head into the holidays, I wanted to take today's episode to focus a bit more on mental health and the importance of friendships. And our guest today is someone that certainly knows a thing or two about both of those topics. Not to mention that today's guest is someone that I have so much respect and admiration for as she's helped pave the way for so many conversations surrounding mental health and has even been called a game changer by Glamour Magazine. And she is Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford. For anyone unfamiliar with Dr. Joy's story, she is a licensed psychologist based in Atlanta, Georgia, having received her bachelor's degree in psychology from Xavier University of Louisiana, her master's degree in vocational rehabilitation counseling from Arkansas State, and her PhD in counseling psychology from the University of Georgia. Dr. Joy is notably known for hosting the podcast Therapy for Black Girls, which dives into conversations on mental health and personal development. But today, Dr. Joy will be sharing details about her new book, Sisterhood Heals, which celebrates the magic of Black sisterhood and offers insight on what it means to heal with community and advice on how to navigate difficult conversations and foster relationships that are not only positive, but transformative, she says. This beautiful book is one that I so enjoyed being able to read and learn from, and I am so thrilled to have the brilliant Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford on to chat about it. I can't wait for you to hear more from Dr. Joy. So with that said, let's get into it. You know what to do, turn up the volume, get comfortable, and I hope you enjoy. Yes, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, I am so thrilled to have you on. I uh, Like I mentioned to you before, I'm a big fan of yours, been following your work for a while now. And I just, I really, as, I don't know, as a communicator myself, I, I appreciate the the dialogues and the conversations you've been able to really open a door for um, and create a space for with your podcast, Therapy for Black Girls. And now with this book, Sisterhood Heals, The Transformative Power of Healing Community. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much, Catherine. I appreciate being invited. <laughs> yes. So I, I had mentioned, um, obviously, in the the intro of sort of just your background, but um, for people that don't know uh, just a little bit more about you, you're a licensed psychologist, you're the founder and the host of Therapy for Black Girls, which is a podcast that focuses on making mental health topics more relevant and accessible for Black women. And, you know, you use a lot of pop culture in order to kind of illustrate those topics. And I think just the work you've been able to do in the audio space alone, like I said, is just beyond remarkable. 
And uh, I think in just over the past few years, it's mental health is just a topic that has become more talked about. <laughs> Let's just leave it at that. Um, I think what you've managed to do and just kind of, like I said, creating more of a space and more of just a, an honest dialogue about, you know, mental health, but also mental health resources for Black women. I think it's it's beyond remarkable. Um, so I want to pass the mic over to you because that was just a lot of me blabbing. But um, I would love to know, so this new book, Sisterhood Heals, if you wouldn't mind, I guess, just uh, providing just listeners a little bit more background about you and then what recently made you launch, I mean, having worked so much in the audio space, what made you want to, you know, put pen to paper and start writing a book? Yeah, I feel like there are so many ways we could go with this question, Catherine. But, um, you know, I really feel like sisterhood is the foundation of all of the things that we do at Therapy for Black Girls. Um, and it's a bit of a funny story because Sisterhood Heals was actually supposed to be our first in-person event. Um, but then we had a pandemic. And so I had a conversation with my literary agent about like what kinds of things I wanted to discuss that weekend. Like what were my hopes and goals for that weekend? And that kind of became the outline for the book. So while I knew at some point I probably would write a book, I kind of went back and forth for some time about what that book would be. And then after that conversation with her, it was very clear that sisterhood is what it had to be. Um, because like I said, I really feel like sisterhood is at the foundation of so much of the work. Like the community is really the heartbeat of our work at Therapy for Black Girls. I feel like there's a real sisterhood among myself and the team members at Therapy for Black Girls. And I really feel like it is such a lifeline for Black women. Like our connections and relationships with one another are how a lot of us are able to handle it, so to speak, right? Um, and so I, I was really so excited that it kind of came together in that way. But I was worried being an audio person, whether like my voice would translate on the page, you know, like I think there's a way that I can communicate things if you hear me versus like reading it. Right. Um, and so I've been so excited to hear from readers and listeners that they feel like that did come across because I wasn't sure. Mm -hmm. No. And I, I'm so glad that you decided to kind of branch out and go into writing a book because, um, you know, I mentioned it to you earlier, this book, it's, it's wonderful in so many different ways, but I think you've been able to make it really relatable to just, I mean, universally, so many different women. Um, while the book is tailored to Black women and Black experiences, I think just terms in terms of kind of age and just stages you're at with your life, I mean, I related to a lot of it with just being in your, you know, kind of early 20s and and life is changing, friends are getting married, friendships look different, relationships look different. And um I took away like a lot of that um and like I said there's so many different stages of life where you where you kind of give advice for how to navigate some of those difficult times. Um but I I'd love to just dive a little more dissect a little bit more into just the concept of sisterhood in general. You know, to hear you talk a little bit about the sisterhood you've been able to find through uh, your audio community, how has just the concept of sisterhood, how is that, I guess, really connected to you and the, just the work that, I mean, not even your work, just you in general, how has sisterhood really um, helped you navigate through your own life? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think it's been major, you know, and when I think about sisterhood, I think about like our intimate connections with the women we are familiar with. Right. Like the women we went to college with and, you know, people who are part of our immediate circle. But I also am thinking about like a more global sense of sisterhood. Right. And thinking about all of the ways that we can kind of make space for one another in our experiences as women. And when I think about my own like personal and professional journey, so much of what I've been able to do is because somebody said let's bring Dr. Joy in or they heard a podcast and said oh we should bring her to speak at our next conference or you know that kind of thing and and I think that that's how we have to move through the world right I think we know that the the world is not set up necessarily for women and definitely not black women to be successful in a lot of areas and the only way a lot of us have been able to handle it and been able to thrive is because somebody else spoke our name in a room when we were not present. And so the book really is an invitation to celebrate the ways that we do that in a really, really good way, but also an invitation to lean more into that and to really work against some of these systems that, you know, are meant to kind of keep us oppressed and marginalized. Um, You know, so when I think about, um, you know, like my first public television appearance was because somebody listened to the podcast. She was a scout for MTV and then brought me on to be a host at the MTV Teen Mom um, or Teen Mom Reunion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the first opportunity I had to do a commercial was with a Black woman who listens to the podcast. And so in my intimate life, for sure, you know, my women... I have two best friends who also live in Atlanta with me um, who we went to college with and like we're raising our kids together and like doing all of these cool things. So for sure, sisterhood plays a role in like my personal life. But I think professionally, I definitely could not have grown the podcast and all of the work that I've been able to do without other black women who have really, you know, brought me into their spaces. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And I I think too, just so what I really took away from uh, just, you know, reading throughout the book your defining of sisterhood, but as well as the, you know, other expert opinions you draw on and include in the book. And what I really, I mean, overwhelmingly took away from it is this concept of community. And I think, I don't know, like, I I really enjoyed reading it right around this time of year too. I mean, here we are Thanksgiving week, we're going into the holidays and, you know, you hear everybody say like acts of kindness, acts of kindness, but that should, (laughs) that concept should exist you know, throughout the whole year. And I loved how you, you know, really tied in acts of kindness to your community into the book and just little things people can do to, like you said, whether it just be, you know, looking out, being a mentor for somebody professionally or, um, you know, just making, doing check-ins. One thing I loved, which is such a great idea is just setting reminders on your phone, whether it be, if somebody's having a rough time in their life, going through a rough patch to set those reminders, to check in, to touch base, just ask how people are doing. Mm -hmm. And, um, there's so many different ways that, you know, and just in terms of community, I think you gave a lot of examples of how we could all be just really, just in general as, as people, really great community members and in looking out for, for one another, um, because especially right now in the world, it's just, I mean, it's, it's just, I I don't need to say it. I feel like everybody knows it. We're just in a really just rocky time right now in the world, left and right, everywhere you look, it's just a lot of hardship going on. And I think the more we can be there for just other people in general, 
um, but especially members of, you know, everyone's respective communities. I think, uh, you know, it, it means a lot and it goes a long way. So I really just enjoyed, you know, different things you talked to about that. But one, I want to pull a quote from the book that I really enjoyed. And I think it really encapsulates this concept of community. Um, so you you wrote, but without a doubt, there is a cadence and rhythm to our gatherings, um, referring to gatherings of sisterhood. More often than not, when we convene, there is a natural sisterhood that breeds openness, protectiveness, and a tenderness with one another, a powerful something that is hard to find in other places. So just having spoken about some of those examples I drew from the book um, that you talked about, what are ways that you have been able to kind of, you know, exert that uh, sense of community and to do those sort of like acts of kindness, if you will, like, what are some of your go-to ways to check in on your friends and to just kind of play into, play into friendship and your relationships? Mm-hmm. Um. So my friends and I kind of have a yearly, Um. again, we all live in Atlanta, so we see each other relatively frequently. But one thing we do on a yearly basis is go back to our undergrad for homecoming. And I think homecoming celebrations are an excellent opportunity to, again, make new memories with the people that you may see all the time, but also to see people that maybe you didn't see since last year's homecoming or people who you haven't seen since you graduated. Um. I think that that's just a very cool way to have fun, but also to make new memories because making new new memories and experiencing new things with your friend circle is a great way to kind of continue to sustain and like pour into a relationship. So I definitely invite people to do new kinds of things as much as possible. Um, I also try to give back as much as possible. So when I see like random teachers post their wish list online in the beginning of a school year, like I try to donate as much as possible. Um, you know, people who like have random go GoFundMes for like different kinds of things. And I think that those kinds of things are important because to your point, Catherine, we really have seen in the pandemic and I think since so many systems that we thought or many of us thought, many of us knew that they were not really designed to save us. But I think it had, it became really illuminated that a lot of systems really were not going to be there to catch us when we fail. And so it really is upon us to be able to be there for one another. So can you, um, you know, if somebody's struggling with their grocery bill and you're behind them, like, can you pick up the tab for them? Like small things like that, I think really go into kind of paying it forward and kind of being kind and gentle with one another because we know the world is so rough, right? So being able to do some of those small things, I think is really important. Mm-hmm. And you're able to spark a lot of that conversation on your own on your own podcast and through the work you do in psychology. Um, I'd love if you could talk a little bit more about uh, one thing I really loved and especially talking about community and just kind of the, the act of coming together. Um, you do these gatherings on Zoom, the three for Thursdays. Would you mind telling people a little bit about that? Because I really enjoyed, you know, hearing you kind of talk about that in the book and learning more about your work in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny because we started three for Thursdays even before the pandemic, and then it came in really handy as a way to stay connected. Um, but three for Thursdays started out on Instagram and Facebook, and then we had like all these technical difficulties. So we moved it to Zoom. But it really is an opportunity for me to just kind of have some FaceTime, so to speak, with my community, right? Like so many of them are listening to the podcast or they read the blog or, you know, but they don't necessarily like have any really intimate conversations and in connection with me. Um, so I started it really as a way to kind 
kind of just have FaceTime with our community and really touch base to get a, a good understanding and like to keep the lines of communication open around what kinds of things people want to hear about and like what are people struggling with. Um, so Three for Thursday is an opportunity. I call it our Therapy for Black Girls town hall meeting. Um, so I will typically share three tips about something in particular. Um, so, you know, like last week we had a conversation around like domestic violence because that has been um, in the in the news pretty heavy. But we've had conversations around um, like how to tell your family you're not coming home for Thanksgiving or the holidays. Um, how do you set boundaries? Um, what does it look like to be more assertive? Like whatever the topic is, right? So sometimes it's inspired by something in pop culture. Other times people will send in suggestions, but I will share three tips. And then we have a general conversation both about the topic and about anything else, right? So the really cool thing about Three for Thursday is that like there is a consistent cohort of people who are there every week. And so we get to hear updates about things people shared like a week ago. I mean, a year ago, we've seen babies born in Three for Thursday, right? And so it's been a really cool way to kind of have, like I said, a continuing conversation with my community, but also for them to develop relationships with one another. So, you know, sometimes they will like plan meetups in different cities or, you know, like recently somebody had a layover in Atlanta and like one of the Three for Thursday members was able to meet her at the airport. So it's been a really cool way to really just foster community both with me and them, but also with the the community members themselves amongst each other. I absolutely love that. Um, I, I I think there's something really profound about, um, and this is what I mean, I, I, I love this about the platform you've been able to create through your work in audio is the community you've been able to really grow out of it. But I think there's something really profound about um, just communication in general, right? Because location, distance, it doesn't matter if you're talking to somebody across the screen or sitting next to somebody in person. Well, it's always nice to sit next to somebody in person, but it's the, it's the communication. It's the being there. It's the checking in. It's the, just the listening and hearing what people have to say and in creating, I, I loved that about the three for Thursdays because in creating that just kind of an open forum. Like you said, it's just a way to, even if people don't are, don't want to talk, they have that opportunity to talk or just to hear. Um, one of the things I, I really, you know, enjoyed of doing just the past two weeks, I've had uh, screenings for my film that I was telling you about and it's on motherhood and I know you're a mother. And um, I think something really profound about you know, put it, doing this documentary on motherhood and, and, you know, not being a mom myself, but following the story and, and just putting a conversation kind of out there into the world and to have people watch it and then come up to me and say how wonderful it was just to hear a conversation happening about a topic that really isn't talked about as much, or, you know, that many, I'm sure mothers would, would find like being a mother is very much a thankless job at times. So to provide people a space, I think that's why I just, I just love communication and and the benefit, the beautiful benefit that that can, you know, have on people by just giving people a space, giving them an opportunity to, you know, speak up themselves. But also I think there's something really wonderful about just listening and just hearing and, and understanding that like, Hey, somebody else is going through the same thing I'm going through. Yeah. So, um, I think what you're able to do, you know, through your network of, uh, TBG and just, yeah, 
providing people the for, kind of the open forum to gather and express things going on in their lives, I think mm-hmm. is just really wonderful. Yeah, um, Catherine, if I could just say, you know, there are people who come to Three for Thursday and have never talked, right? So to your point, it really isn't always about like you taking up space, like you can also hold space for other people, right? And so even when people have not talked, they still talk about like the benefit they get from just hearing people and knowing that they're not alone. And that really is the powerful part about community, right? I think a lot of times what we often struggle with is like this shame related to what we're dealing with, right? Like, oh my gosh, I feel so embarrassed about this. Nobody understands this. Nobody gets this. And when you come together, both in a space like a three for Thursday or in some kind of support group or in a therapy group, you realize you are never alone with any single thing that you have ever experienced. So the flavor might look a little different for somebody else, but at its core, we all understand what it what it feels like to be grieving. We understand what it's like to be happy. We understand what it feels like to be excluded, right? And so only in community do you realize that you're not alone with anything and that there are other people who really do get what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And, and, you know, you talk about that in the book, just the concept of isolation and especially during the pandemic, like you said, this, the whole three for Thursday really stemmed from the pandemic, really grew out of it. Um, And I think, like I said earlier, to look at where we are in the world and everything that's going on, uh, it's a lot of heaviness. And I think in times of turmoil and just, you know, emotional turbulence and um, just a lot of uneasiness about the things that are happening, things that you can't necessarily control. I feel like it's really easy to kind of get isolated in that. Um, And also just in general, as we kind of, I mean, I was in a position where I was, I'm still kind of in a position too, but I'm where I'm working uh, hybrid, right? But I was in a position where I was working a hundred percent remote. And I was doing school and it was just a lot of, a lot of, just a lot of time alone looking at four walls and a laptop. And that was kind of the day to day. And I think um, we have to kind of be mindful of, I think just that other people can be in these, these funks of these spaces of isolation and um, the power that just talking, just communicating and listening can have on that. Um, Cause that was one thing that like I really, and, and has made me open up about mental health is like a period of over the past like year, especially as I was working on my master's and it was a lot of stress and isolation. Um, and I kind of like sunk into the hole of that. Finally, I think getting into a spot where I was in that hole, it really made me more aware of mental health and allowed me to speak out more about it on the podcast. So um, yeah, I got in a loop of where I was going with that. But I just think when you're in, in in periods of isolation and experiencing loneliness, I think that's where communication really, you know, can help pull you out. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, Catherine, something that you said just made me think of like one of my favorite quotes from Mr. Rogers, um, who uh, talks about looking for the helpers, right? So in times of turmoil and, you know, when things feel like disarray, like, of course, there's a lot of bad that you can focus on. But if you look around, you will also always find helpers. And so one of the ways to kind of pull yourself out of some of that, you know, kind of like isolation and like things are very bad is to look around to see people who are helping, but also to become a helper, right? So 
So what part can you play in making the world a little better, right? So whether that is a donation, whether that is delivering meals, whether whether that's volunteering your time in some kind of way, there's always something that we can be doing to help a situation. Um, so I just wanted to remind folks of that as well. Definitely. And I, I think too, especially when you're just like going through the the grind of a nine to five and you're maybe fueling your passion in, in the professional space, I think there's still a, what I've noticed in, in speaking with some of my friends is this kind of roadblock you get. Sorry, you mentioned the word volunteering and it sort of got me thinking of this is just fueling your your passion in the unprofessional space, right? Just recreationally. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think in doing that and in doing things like volunteering, you're not only just fueling that, that goodness for yourself, but for other people. And I've tried to find, I just moved to, uh, I just moved to a new city. So, right. I, I moved to a new city and I wanted to get involved with my community there, not just, I mean, partly for my own benefit of like trying to meet new people and get out there, but also for just the act of doing something good for, for somebody else. And hopefully it'll have, you know, the return and helping me as well. So I think, and you talk about that as well in the book. And I think um, the different advice you give for others on how to step up and be a better person for, for somebody else that has that kind of that mutual, um, I don't know, ricochet. And I think those things do like help kind of fuel your, your soul as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely would agree with that. Mm -hmm. So uh, I just like to get into a little bit more about, um, you know, we talked about sisterhood earlier and there's one thing that you bring up in the book that I think uh, the four S's of sisterhood, which I'd love to just kind of rattle those off um, and then just kind of get you, if you wouldn't mind expanding upon them. So you go into topic on the the four S's of sisterhood. And actually that's stem speaking of, you know, loneliness. I think this kind of bounced out of your chapter on loneliness and how, uh, according to a study in 2019 um, by Cigna uh, in, in the United States, loneliness, there was 61% of Americans that shared feeling lonely in that year. Um, and I think, you know, you, you make this correlation between this feeling of loneliness, uh, as we discussed earlier, and then just community and sisterhood. So the four S's of sisterhood, um, and some of these things that can really help combat that loneliness. So you talk about sisterhood allows us to be seen. Sisterhood allows us to support and be supported. Sisterhood allows for greater knowledge of self and sisterhood allows us to soften now, feel free if you need me to re- <laughs> repeat any of those. Um, but overall, the four S's of sisterhood, how has, I know you talked a little bit about earlier about how that sort of impacted you um, and your life. How did these four S's come to be and what has the relevance been sort of just for yourself personally, if you wouldn't mind sharing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it, it really felt important to me to kind of have some kind of framework for this work, right? So when I think about like, why is sisterhood important? And like, why am I writing a whole book about this? It felt like I needed some kind of like something to ground it in. And so the four S's were really my attempt to ground this conversation around why I think sisterhood is really important. And so when I'm thinking about, you know, being seen and sisterhood really allowing us to be seen, I think that many of us can recognize 
or really understand the feeling of like when you glance at another woman in a staff meeting and like you know somebody has like stolen your idea or like they are rephrasing the thing that you know that you said first and like now everybody's so excited about it right like sisterhood and our connections with one another are really what allow us to be seen in those kinds of moments right there are so many um experiences where we feel invisible but when we are with other women they often see us and so sisterhood is important in that way um sisterhood when i'm thinking about it allowing us to soften you know there are so many spaces that we have to have this armor on right like we get ready for the presentation or we're going in for our evaluation and we know we got to arm ourselves and kind of be ready for anything and in our relationships with other women we don't have to do that hopefully right mm-hmm. so it can be a space where we can figuratively take off our bras so to speak um and kind of just let it all hang out and not have to have on some of that armor when i'm thinking about um what is it the uh it learning know, knowing more about yourself right mm-hmm. so there are some things about yourself that you can't possibly know until you are in relationship with other people right so you know concerns around assertiveness or icks so to speak, right? Like those are things that you might think about or guess about, but it is only in our relationships with other people that like some of those things actually come to reality, which is why healing also happens in relationship because we're not like in a vacuum. Like much of our world is actually dictated and controlled by our relationships with other people. And so sisterhood really allows us to have a greater knowledge of ourselves because we are in relationship to other women. Um, And then support and being supported. So I think for a lot of people... And I see this, especially Catherine, for like high achieving women, um, this idea of like asking for help is really, really difficult. And so in sisterhood, it becomes a little easier to kind of flex that muscle to kind of practice what it looks like asking for help, but also allowing yourself to be helped, um, because I think that that can be difficult. And so, you know, in my own life, I definitely have seen all of those things, right? Before Therapy for Black Girls was my full-time job, I was a part of staffs and, you know, had experiences of microaggressions and people kind of rephrasing my ideas um you know so definitely those those four s's have played a role in my life for sure Mm -hmm. definitely no i i love that you really expand and you obviously people need to get the book and read the book uh (laughs) to learn more about how you know you expand upon these um and the importance of each one of them but i'd love to kind of just dive a little deeper with that and in regards to you know hearing you talk about just things like visibility and um you know spaces in which women can take off the armor and soften. Um, You know, I brought it up to you earlier. Obviously, this book, Sisterhood, in general, it's a concept that is, I mean, mean, you spend, you know, the whole book talking about uh, how women, specifically Black women, um, the importance of sisterhood to them, but also this, the idea that it is really born about because of the ways in which women, specifically Black women, can't, for example, in the workplace, right? You bring up the example of, you know, the workplace not always being set up for women, especially Black women. So using that as an example, and just the concept of sisterhood, how can men or white individuals, how can people outside of the sisterhood help to uplift that sisterhood and and make it make spaces more inclusive, but just to to uplift that sisterhood and make it so that, you know, it doesn't need to be as, you know, women don't have to wear that armor all the time. Women mm-hmm. should be allowed to soften 
in their own spaces? And I feel like I know that's like a loaded question and I hopefully that makes sense. But I guess that's sort of my point is how could, you know, spaces, how could individuals outside of the sisterhood help to kind of uplift and allow that sisterhood to exist and and be comfortable in all in all spaces? Mm-hmm. So the first thing that comes to mind, Catherine, is not being suspicious when you see a group of Black women talking, right? Mm-hmm. Because I think that's often what happens in workspaces is that, you know, Dr. Beverly Danielle Tatum wrote a whole book like Why are the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria, right? Like it is often a survival tactic, right? Like yeah. when you see a, a group of Black women kind of coming together after a meeting, that is them debriefing after the meeting to kind of manage any microaggressions that happen as a part of the main meeting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, And so I think not approaching that with an area with an air or an air of like suspiciousness and like judgment, but a, a understanding of like this is kind of what people need to do to be able to thrive in certain environments. Um, so I think that that's one. I also think that if you are in a position of power to be able to fund and support. ERG groups in your workspace, right? So again, I I talked about like getting lots of invitations to come to ERG groups, but they're often like poorly funded or somebody is like running this whole ERG in addition to like their full-time job, right? So if you say that these kinds of things are important in your workspace, make sure that you're adequately funding it and providing resources for that kind of work, right? So it can't be something that somebody does on top of their already full-time job. Like, can there be a reduction and in hours for other things, you know, so really making sure that you are funding and resourcing those kinds of uh, systems, I think is also really important and making sure that you are mentoring. So a lot of conversations I had around the book, um, people talked about like not necessarily just mentorship, but sponsorship, right? So if you are in a position of power, how can you bring in a Black woman and kind of teach them the ropes or like groom them to kind of take your position after you're planning to leave, right? Like there are spaces, you know, we have to acknowledge our own privilege. And so there are spaces and places that you have access to that other people don't. So how can you spend your privilege and allow other people to have access to those things? Um, So I think that those are some of the ways that I think about, you know, people who want to be allies, so to speak, um, can be really helpful in managing and helping to to help sisterhood thrive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I think and I guess I'll reword if I could like reword the because I feel like after listening to you, you know, speak more about it, I have a better understanding of, I guess, more precisely of, of what I was getting at, because part of, I guess you could say the magic of sisterhood, right, that you talk so much about in the book is this space where there's commonality, there's shared community, there's shared experiences, and there's being there for one another. And that's a beautiful thing. And then I think, you know, you also get on this in in the book is that one way in which, you know, sometimes that commonality is, is really, you know, put into a centralized space is because the system, the world in which we live in is not always set up for, in this case, Black mm. women to thrive. So I guess it's it, it was such, because that's something that I really took away from this book is that there's this beautiful thing about sisterhood and then this other aspect of it that really is that sisterhood sometimes is so crucial because of the way the world is in which we live in. And I guess it's sort of that part of sisterhood. It's like, how can we better this so that, you know, just spaces are more open for people to just feel comfortable in and just for all women of color. um, I think it's how best can, you know, 
whether it be the workforce, whether it be just our, our communities in general, how best can we better equipped our spaces and just in the, in the way in which we go about life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's something that I really took away from the book is just like I said, this, this beautiful aspect of it. And then this part in which it's like, can we be doing something more? We should be doing something more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think what you're getting at is like some of the the challenges that make it difficult for sisterhood to even happen. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we know that patriarchy and misogyny and all of these things are some of the barriers that make it difficult. Right. So when we think about like black women in the workspace, one of the things that makes sisterhood difficult there is because the system is kind of set up to kind of believe that only one black girl can be successful. Right. So there's a chosen one and like, she's going to be the only one who like will have any type of career success. And then everybody else is kind of left by for crumbs, which makes it difficult to then connect because I now view you as competition as opposed to like somebody I can actually be in community with. And mm-hmm. so I think one of the ways that people can do that is by making enough space for multiple people to be successful, right? So that it is not like engendering this sense of competition, but really how can we lift everybody up, right? Like how can we create multiple spaces for people to be successful? I think that that is kind of what you're talking about. Like, yeah. you know, how can you do that? But I also think um, it means doing your own work, right? And I I feel like we saw a lot of these conversations in the wake of 2020, right after George Floyd's murder. And, you know, all of these companies were talking about all these, you know, initiatives that we have largely seen go ignored at this point. So, you know, I do want to put that back on people's radar that, you know, it is still important for you to do your own work. And that means learning about your own privileges and what kinds of things that you may be doing, likely unintentionally for a lot of people, but that is making life more difficult for some of your colleagues and friends of color. Um, So doing that work on your own, asking people if they have bandwidth to check in with you about certain things, because, you know, that was the conversation, too, that people like didn't feel like they wanted to have to hold space for some of those conversations. So asking if people actually have bandwidth and space to check in with you about some microaggression that you think happened at work or whatever, Um, but also talking with your own friends, right? Like it gets very exhausting to be the black girl in the office who always has to call out the elephant in the room, right? So Mm -hmm. can you take some ownership to do that? Like other people know what's happening, right? Because they will often come to your office afterwards and say, oh, I'm so glad you said that thing, right? I don't want to be the one that has to say it all the time. (laughs) Like, can you also say something so that like the target is not always on my back? So I think those are some of the very tangible ways that people can, you know, kind of make space for more women. Right. Well, it's just, I mean, follow through, right? It's the follow through of, I mean, just because you put your laundry in the basket doesn't mean it's going to get done. Like you have to do, you have to spot treat, you have to put it in the washer, you have to do the follow through of things. So I think in order to, like you said, to make spaces more enjoyable for all individuals, um, there's, there's follow through with that. It's not going to take one, you know, action one day of, you know, I I think one thing that recently came to mind is like, uh, women's empowerment. I, I, to be (laughs) honest, I I'm going to butcher the day, but I feel like it was just like a couple months back. And I think so many people were saying like, yeah, like our companies did nothing to talk about it. And like, and it's just such an interesting thing where, um, you know, people in, in higher power will say like, oh, we're going to, you know, do this great thing. We're going to be uplifting women and there's going to be a change. And then there's no change because there's no follow through. There's no continuous action. There's no continuous support. Um, so I think that that's, uh, 
that's a big factor of it is just like following through. Right. So um, that's such a true point. And I think that's, yeah, really great advice to, to, to leave with because um, and I'd love to get into this as sort of this like last sort of chapter is that you do set the book up um, towards the end of it. And now granted this advice is for women, of course, um, but you give the advice of just how people can be there for, for one another, how women can be there for one another. Um, and I guess just in general, I mean, I know we were talking about this in, in sort of the beginning of just things people can do, but your perspective of working um, just with <laughs> such a large clientele with your work through psychology, how can, in order to just better the result of just feeling more accepted, feeling more visible, feeling just better, <laughs> um, how can individuals kind of what advice would you recommend to individuals to whether it be the acts of kindness we discussed earlier, what advice would you give to people, um, you know, to put forth into their own communities, put forth towards their friends, their families, their partners, what advice would you give to them in order to kind of make others allow others to feel represented, visible, heard, seen? Mm-hmm. So I think, Catherine, we have to start by making sure we have enough space to do that, because I think one of the main threats to friendship and community and all of these things is that people are tired. People are burned out. People are overextended. And so I think we can only approach this kind of space when we are like clearing enough off of our plate to make sure that we actually have the room and opportunity to be able to like help take care of other people in our lives. So I would encourage people to start with a self-assessment about what kinds of things you can take off of your plate. Right. Like, have you said yes to too many things and now you're like overextended and you don't actually have time to pour into your relationships? The next thing that I would say is, you know, something that you mentioned that I did write in the book is to put things on your calendar. So when you know your friend is like going up for a promotion next month or she has a big presentation or like it's the anniversary of her mom's death, put those kinds of things on your calendar so that you can remember to check in, Um, especially after there has been a loss. Right. Because there's all this energy like right after a loss and then like the weeks and the months later are when people really struggle. So putting those kinds of reminders on your calendar, I think can be really helpful. But also looking around to see some of the small things that you can do just in your community, right? So is there an elderly person in your community that you could help to get their medicine delivered or go make groceries for them? Um, is there a mom, a single mom in your neighborhood who could use, you know, like an hour of babysitting a week or something like that? I think looking at just like some of the small things that we can do to be good community members, because that means that I am responsible for you and you are responsible for me, right? And so if we look at it, as a circle that like can never be broken, we can look at the role we can play to make the community continue to thrive. So I think looking at some of those things could be really helpful for people to be good community members, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for sharing. Yeah. I love that you kind of ended, you know, the book on that, um, I guess without spoiling too much, but kind of spoiling too much, but you you do, you, (laughs) you kind of, you know, end the book on just how to, just better your friendships and just better, like you said, better your community and making people feel seen and safe. Uh, and I, I think there's, like I said, with where we are right now in the world, I think there's something really powerful in that. Um, and I, I'd also love, so just um, looking at, I guess, just where we're headed, we got we got the holidays coming up. And um, I think the holidays, it can get 
obviously, I mean, you look at a time like Christmas, but uh, just the holidays in general, no matter what, um, you know, holiday anybody's celebrating, there's always going to be some sort of gathering. There's always going to be some sort of preparation. You're preparing the food, maybe you're hosting. And uh, I think there's so much busyness leading up to the days that I feel like by the time the dinner rolls around, the the time to be together rolls around, everybody's exhausted. Like I know my family growing up, we all get together, we eat, we nap. Like it's just (laughs) somebody's always like asleep on the couch. Somebody's always like just trying to put everything away in the Tupperware and like get through and just like, all right, be done with it. Um, what I guess for for you, like, what do you recommend um, in in terms of just trying to? I mean, I'm not saying we need to have a therapy session at the at the dinner table, but um, maybe in and around the holidays, like, do you recommend maybe you know taking time either before or after the holidays to really have just meaningful conversations with family? Like, what advice do you have for? time periods that can be so hectic, when do you think it's best to sort of have those conversations of checking in and and, and making time for one another? Mm-hmm. So I think, Catherine, it really is important for people to give themselves reima- give themselves permission to reimagine the holidays, right? Because to your point, so many of us like keep doing the same thing just because we've always done it, right? And so we get into this habit and tradition of like doing this thing, making all this food, like exhausting everybody and stressing everybody out. And then like dinner is not even enjoyable. So what kinds of traditions and things would actually feel good? Because this is also one of the only times in the year where people are together together, right? And so we're spending so much of this time like anxious and worked up that we're not actually able to appreciate our time together. So can you order in food? Can you scale the menu all the way back and like actually have some time to like play games with one another? There are all these like really cool like card decks, like we're not strangers and table mm-hmm. topics and all of those things. Like build those kinds of things into your 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 holiday traditions because those are the things that people will remember far more than like whether the turkey was burned or not, right? Like those kinds of meaningful conversations and talking with the elders in your family, right? Like I think a lot of us um, often regret that we didn't have certain conversations with grandparents and great-grandparents. So making making opportunity to like hear some of those family stories during the holidays, I think can also be really meaningful, but we can only do that if we make space again to have mm-hmm. those kinds of conversations. Definitely. Well, like I said, on the topic of making space, I, Dr. Joy, I really just appreciate like all the work you do um, in creating, uh, just opening the door for people to have conversation and just providing people with uh, a platform through your own platform to really just like harbor uh, conversation and dialogue. Um, and I think in regards to mental health, I mean, like kudos to you for for speaking on mental health before a lot of people have <laughs> um, and trying to, you know, just spread the awareness of that. Um, it's it's beyond, like I said, really just beyond remarkable. And I, I was so thrilled to have you on to chat, kind of chat about that, especially as we're entering into the holidays. Um, but this book and I'll be linking, um, you know, where people can get it, because I really do think it makes for a great um, book, like especially for for your girlfriends, like a, a book on sisterhood uh, is is genuinely like 
during times of, because the holidays can be while we're gathered with family, sometimes they can feel really lonely Mm -hmm. Um, and lonely for some when you're not gathering with family for sure. Um, So I think sisterhood heals is is definitely uh, something that I think so many women uh, can can take so much away from. And like I said, I, I was genuinely able to take so much away from it myself. Um, being truly like being a white woman and reading about sisterhood, not only was I able to, I, I loved the quotes you pulled in as well. I, I'm, I love a good quote. Uh, and I love just hearing about women's different experiences, um, just in the sisterhood, but also like I mentioned earlier, different, you know, everything's so universal, um, and different stages of people's life and the things in which they're going through the emotions they're experiencing. I was able to relate to so much of that. And I think it really just made me, um, you know, value the relationships I have with my black friends and also how can I, as an individual better myself, um, as a friend, you know, how can I be a better friend? How can I best support my, my friends and especially my black friends? And I really just, I I genuinely appreciated this book. It's, it's for people that listen to therapy for black girls. I think this book is like everything and more, (laughs) um, cause it's so quintessentially you. Um, yeah, (laughs) thank you. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. And, um, you know, I always love to wrap with this being handling it. Uh, Dr. Joy, has there been a piece of advice or a lesson that you've learned throughout your life that's really helped you handle it? Ooh, beautiful question, Catherine. And thank you so much for the lovely wishes and the remarks. I really appreciate being here with you today. Um, So one of my favorite quotes came from one of my business coaches um, very early in building therapy for Black girls. Um, Because I think anytime you build something like this that is like much for other people, there's a lot of anxiety. Like, are people going to get it? Like, will they understand it? You know, that kind of thing. Um, And one thing that she said to me that has stuck with me is that there's a message that comes through you that is not for you, right? So whenever I feel anxious and like, oh, are people going to like this? I I remind myself that I need to get out of my own way because there's somebody who needs to hear this thing that I am kind of going back and forth on. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. (laughs) I love, there's nothing I love more than ending on a good piece of advice. Um, Cause not just for myself selfishly, but I just think, especially as we go into, like I said, the holiday season, when we're approaching the new year, as we're all trying to work on whether it be new year's resolutions or just how to better yourself in the new year. I think that's great advice. Um, cause yeah, I, I'm somebody who definitely gets in my head about things. Too. <laughs> and I go back and forth on stuff all the time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. And it was just such a pleasure to meet you. Thank you, Catherine. Likewise. And that's today's episode, everybody. It was an absolute privilege to be able to chat with Dr. Joy, the space she's been able to help create for dialogue surrounding mental health, particularly for black women is incredible. And I am so thrilled to have had her on the podcast to chat about sisterhood heels, which would make such a wonderful book to give to your friends this Christmas ladies. Thank you to Dr. Joy so much for coming on and thank you listeners so much for tuning in. As always, let me know what you thought of our episode. You can reach us on Instagram at Handling It Podcast, and feel free to send us a message and let us hear your thoughts and suggestions. I will see you in two weeks with a brand new episode, but until then, keep staying safe with everything going on in the world right now and keep handling it. I'll talk to you soon.